Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods are to give our followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, if you haven't already, do yourself a favor and check out the Minnesotan. You can visit their flagship store in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with Tom Chorsky, one of my all-time best friends dating back to kindergarten. Uh, Tom and I will sit down on our part two of a two-part series. We're going to do the second half first, talk about his life after the Stanley Cup, at the end of his pro career, raising his family, and now getting into the hockey business with the St. Cloud Norseman. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Mr. Chorsky. How are you doing today? Hey, Tony. Uh, doing, doing real well. It's... Uh... It's great to great to be on the uh, podcast with you. That's for sure. Uh, we couldn't burn, build a ring of fire today. It's like a monsoon out there, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's uh, <laughs> one of those days that you, you, you don't want, like to see roll around on a weekend. Uh, can always use the can always use the moisture and the rain to green up the lawn, but kind of kind of sucks when it's on your Sunday. Yeah, I know. It was funny. We were going to probably do this in the middle of the week, and I saw the weather. And I'm like, hey, how about Sunday? And you're like. Yes, let's do it because there's going to be nothing better else to do, right? I did the same thing. looked at the looked at the forecast and thought that'll be a good day to do it. Do a great day for a podcast. We spent plenty of time getting ready for this show, but before we get into part two of our podcasts, um, let's talk about the Minnesotan. Hilarious. If we were doing a Zoom call right now, what would our viewers see you wearing? Yeah, that is funny. You brought it up, and and as as fate would have it, um, I've. I've gotten to know the Minnesotan a little bit and Corey over there and have done some, some kind of fun videos and was, was part of a uh, Guinness world record. You probably remember a long oh, yeah. past, but anyway, during this process, we've, we've gotten to know Corey and the Minnesotan and we have kind of mooched off him for some <laughs> apparel. And so I woke up today and, and, uh, on, right on the, on the floor next to my bed was my Minnesotan branded sweatpants. Uh, I've got a quarter zip from the Minnesotan on, and then the first ball cap I grabbed because I've got the COVID bad bad haircut going. I uh, I threw on one of the hats that uh, Corey brought to us on Hockey Day. Uh, he was he, he was kind enough to swing by our uh, the restaurant headquarters um, Nolo that we were downtown during Hockey Day, Minneapolis, and uh, he dropped off some lids, and so I'm wearing a lid. Uh, a top and sweats that all have the Minnesotan logo on it. Now you're just a billboard for it. I this is kind of a cough cough. I haven't gotten my stuff yet. Maybe I should. Uh, uh, I, I got to do some more yeah. work with Corey to get to get my hat. So I uh, will yeah, see. Well, I'll share some of mine if if, if I have to. All right, um, let's dig into that longest pass. I was uh, at one of the uh, video shots down at Lake of the Isles back in our stomping grounds next to the Mr. Baxter bench. Um, yeah. Walk through that process, the Guinness process uh, of, of, of getting that record and working with Guinness and doing all those things. Yeah, you know, my partner in crime on that was Zach Lampa, 
and Zach really did the lion's share um, that time around of of, of uh, procuring both uh, our swag, uh, a little bit of money, and and getting Guinness involved. But if people don't remember, we were um, on Lake of the Isles uh, a year ago, in November, and it hadn't snowed, but the lake had frozen, so the the ice was like you know glass, and we were able to stand about uh, 300 yards apart and send a, a puck uh, for the longest pass. And it turned out that Guinness had a representative in town that could show up and, and hand us a, a certificate and was witness to. And we had surveyors there that measured it and, uh, and made it all official. But it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a to-do thing that you have to negotiate or you can negotiate different levels of, of payments depending on if you want to be in the book or be on the website and if you want to use their logo on, on social media and things like that. So it gets a little um, business-like. Yeah, yeah, business-like. Yeah, a little sticky and business-like. Uh, we thought we were just going to, you know, set this record and Guinness would fall all over themselves to, uh, you know, to be there and, and document it. But it's kind of the other way around. It's, if you want to be in the Guinness book, you gotta you got to you know, bring some money in hand. So, but we, we, we enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of fun. And then when you showed up, that was we goal, decided, right? Yeah. We had decided to do the longest goal, which also hadn't been set. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we didn't really run with that one. We, 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 I guess we put it out there, but we never followed through with, you can, there is a process to document your own yeah. um, record, but that is also quite of intensive you know, intense process of proving that you did it and documenting it. So, well, I saw with my know, own now, eyes, I could sign yeah, off on it. I watched, it. we measured it out. We, I were, I was kind of with you from the beginning and end to that goal. That was pretty cool. You, you yeah, scored I mean, like on the second shot, didn't you? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where in, when you're conceiving it, you're, you're thinking, God, I hope it doesn't take me a hundred times. Um, <laughs> I was getting and... chilly. It was one of those days it wasn't cold, but if you're out there long <clears> enough, <throat> and we were basically standing still, right? We're not, we're like, we're not skating around playing hockey. So it was getting right. colder and colder by the minute, I felt. Yeah, as long as there's a little breeze, right? A little wind, it, it can it can be cold. You almost can't dress too warm when you're um, when you're on the ice, too. I think your feet get cold because you're walking on, if you're on your, you know, street shoes or whatever. So, but yeah, that's been something we've, we've had some fun with it. We did it, we did it uh, again um, over at the John Rose Oval, which was um, more recently. Beautifully shot, by the way, not that my shooting was any good, but it was well done. Walk through that one. So you've had like three phases. What was phase three? Yeah. Yeah. The third one, um, again, Zach, Zach recruited uh, uh, kind of a professional video videographer who had a, um, drone, and so we had some really cool shots, like you said, of oh, the top. It's just and, awesome. And and it was a it was a beautiful day, and and it was at a time when you know during I guess during COVID that the John Rose Oval isn't open, and so we had it to ourselves. Um, and and it's a if if you don't know, it's got like a soccer field of ice, you know, in the middle, and then it's got a 400 meter track around it or whatever that is, and so. Plenty of length to uh, to stretch a to stretch a pass out, and then that one we put a we put his young son, six year old son, in net. So now we had the longest save, hockey yep. save, love it. Um, and and then I think we did a backhand pass, the so longest backhand pass, and um, 
so, you know, the ice conditions there are, were perfect because they have a refrigerated system and a Zamboni that does their ice. So, again, you know, some of these records or, or all of these records, one thing they require is um, a large open space of ice. And if you can, you need the best ice con- conditions as possible. So there's there's some limitations on, you know, when and where you can 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 set either a, a Guinness record or what we were just calling more recently, just hockey dad. We're, we're called hockey dads, or that's kind of a name we coined ourselves. So just a, a unofficial Guinness hockey dads record of, of some sort is what we've been doing lately. You, you know, you could do it like, like Zach Strom's Detroit Lakes. He could do it. I've given the right uh, time a year. He could do it on Detroit Lakes. One of those lakes there for sure. But like some guy in Atlanta could never pull it off. Right. 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 It's got to be frozen outdoor. Yeah, they don't have any frozen outdoor lakes that that might freeze up before it snows. Um, Now we're trying to conceive maybe of finding, you know, a super smooth um, parking lot or asphalt or concrete area that we could, you know, potentially use, you know, like the green biscuit and and where you don't need ice and you can do something outdoors. And we were thinking that we might try to do a, um, an event where, you know, at the end of the day, we, we've decided that we could we could hold an event where kids could come and try to set the record, you know, for a, the nine-year-old division and 10-year-old division or what have you, and, and kids, boys and girls that want to try and set the record and they can come out and attempt and just be something kind of fun. And, you know, if you charged everyone, you know, five or 10 bucks and money was going to go to a charity, it might be kind of a fun event to do. Well, if you, I know a guy who's got a website that could help promote that, so just give me a call if if that does happen. You're, you're, yeah, you're on speed dial for that one, Tom. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's go through this. Uh, just everyone's like, well, what's part two versus part one? Um, I wanted to do you and I want to do a couple podcasts together, uh, and this one when I say part two is you're the new general manager of the St. Cloud Norseman. And that's at the end of who Tom Chorsky is. And I thought there's so much meat on the bone. Why would we waste, try to smash, you know, uh, being born in 1966 to 2020 and into one hour? It just, it's too hard. So we decided to do a pod uh, post-19, post-Stanley Cup. And then there's the pre-Stanley Cup show, which we'll do before the end of COVID. And hopefully that's sooner than later, right? Yep. So today we're going to do a show uh, from 1995 Ottawa Senators, end of your career, the last four or five years of your career in professional hockey, uh, to family man, you know, starting a family in the early 2000s, um, being in sports broadcasting, and um, and then obviously now up until uh, just this year being involved with the St. Cloud Norseman. So are you ready to roll? Absolutely. All right, here we go. 1995-96. Uh, it's kind of an interesting. There's a couple of good stories here. Um, you win the Stanley Cup, um, and most players stick around. Um, you did not. Uh, you headed off to Ottawa. Uh, you went from the best franchise in the NHL to proverbial, probably the worst franchise at the time, or one of the three or four worst franchises at the time. Uh, what were your, what was your mindset there going from New Jersey to Ottawa? Yeah, well, you know, here's how it happened. I got to training camp with New Jersey. We're the defending Stanley cup champions. And literally, I think the night before 
I got put on waivers. So we go to the owner's house, Dr. McMullen, and we got our rings. And so we had a great night of receiving our Stanley Cup rings from the owner at the owner's house. And the next morning, I wake up to find out that I'm on waivers and I get picked up by Ottawa. And as you just said, I went from the the best team, you know, in the league at that point, having just won the cup to the worst team, Ottawa Senators. Uh, and if, if they weren't the worst, I, I, I do think they were the worst. I mean, there was a couple of other teams that were struggling, but Ottawa was the most recent, um, you know, one of the most recent franchises that had been awarded to the league and was a startup a few years old. And I found myself mentally trying to convince myself that, Hey, they wanted me. They, they, they're bringing in a guy who just won the Stanley cup, which was what they were trying to do, which was trying to get better at a veteran player with some good experience and, and, and having just won a cup. And what ended up happening was it was a lot harder, um, to emotionally wrap my brain around it than I thought it was going to be. So that first year in Ottawa, 1995-96, was uh, was a trying year. We weren't very good to start the season. We were playing in an old arena in downtown Ottawa before they had moved out to Canada and, and opened up what at that time would have been the Corral Center, soon, soon to be uh, in a brand new arena. But we continued to be pretty bad. Um, they fired a I, that year, I think we had three coaches and two general managers by the end of the year. So it was a tough one. Yeah, Damian Rhodes was on your team. He told me about that. He goes, yeah, with three coaches in one year, it's almost unheard of. Well, he was, he was the I think, the last trade. And the la- when he arrived um, was also a day when, or right around the time when we had gotten a new general manager. And then the second coach. Yeah. Um, Dave Allison had gotten was getting fired, and then we finished the season with some stability with um, the new general manager and our coach was Jacques Martin, who was a really good coach and and a, and a good guy and he went on to have a pretty uh, good run there in Ottawa. But it took until you know the last 20 games of the year for us to I think kind of finally feel like we were on the right track. So I, I want to before we talk hockey, I want to talk about the culture of Ottawa. It was I've been there. I don't know why my wife and I we were we were married, and we're taking a little trip together. And so where should we go? You know, and what we are both of us had already been Banff, so we'd been to Western Canada. I'm like, let's go check out Ottawa and Toronto and Montreal. So we flew to Detroit, rented a car, and then just got in a car and drove Eastern Canada, and Ottawa just blew me away how beautiful it was like we not that we went to burger king but like the burger king had plush flowers around it like there was plush flowers it was the most it was like a landscaper's dream the entire town i'm, I'm sure you can agree with this well yeah and if, if people don't know it's it's you know canada's capital city and yeah. so it's it's pretty well taken care of that way and if you've been to um, Montreal and Ottawa's between Montreal and, and Toronto, um, it has a lot of historic buildings too, and, and a lot of government, you know, well, you know, I guess maintained and manicured um, government buildings, embassies, you know, um, the this all of the buildings that are related to Canada's capital, and then some of the old architecture, and and I, and with that, I would say, you know, it's a city that's not unlike. Um, the Twin Cities, not unlike Minneapolis and St. Paul. They've got, 
you know, they've got farmers markets and universities and they've got uh, a river that runs through it and just some pretty neat little um, neighborhoods that have bistros and taverns and, and things like that. So in, in some ways, and the people of, of Canada and, and of, of Ottawa and Eastern, um, you know, Central Canada, there are, they're like Midwesterners. So from that respect, I guess it, it felt a lot like home. Um, but you're right, it's a neat, it's a really neat city. So true or false, you were able to ice skate to, to, to work. Uh, it's true the, the the Rideau Canal runs right through the city, and once it freezes, um, it, it people do start because it's it'd be like living on the city city lakes and being able to skate you know from Isles to Calhoun to Cedar, you can you can skate quite a ways, and, and people that live near the the canal will um, you know it's more of a novelty than a form of transportation, but they can do it, and then when you get close to downtown. The canal is lined with, um, you know, little food food booths and hot chocolate booths and coffee booths and what have you. And so, it's a it's a pretty neat uh, sight to see, you know, people skating on weekends uh, through the canal. I I will I have to be honest, I never did it. I, <laughs> I, I felt you're supposed to lie for me, right? Just like, oh I yeah, know, I know, did it every but, day, right? Know, but. It was like a mailman going for a walk on his day off. I'm like, hey, I, I do this six days a week. I don't need to put on my skates and, and go for a skate. But my wife always, you know, my wife did it with some of the other, um, you know, wives and girlfriends on the team. And um, and I was certainly thought it was cool, but I, I can't lie. I never actually did it. The only question I had about it, I just I didn't want to spend too much time on it. But the only question, are these canals are they plowed? Because if you, you like you just said Harriet Isles, Calhoun, yeah. you couldn't do it because it's not plowed. Is it actually plowed to for a form of transportation and entertainment? Yeah, they do. That's they, cool. They clear up. They they clear a path um, for quite a while. I mean, it's it's probably at least it's probably a mile, um, and beyond that, you probably. You'd have to shovel your own path, but yeah, they 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 keep it uh, cleared off for for a long way so that people can because it goes through most of the city and kind of different neighborhoods and right into the downtown part of the city, and so they want people to be able to see you know get all the way out to the the outer uh, neighborhoods. All right, so end of the first year, um, you guys struggle, finish sixth in your league and in your in your in your division. Um, it didn't end all that bad, though. No, yeah, we were talking uh, off air here and uh, off mic, but you know, the one of the other highlights that I don't think about it really often as a highlight, but we were, as I explained, we were um, coming down the stretch, and you know, we're seeing the end of our season come, and we, we've only have forty points, and our season's going to end on the last day of the year. And it, as as fate would have it, we're playing the New Jersey Devils on the last day of the season, and it turned out that um, they needed to win the last game. They needed two points uh, to get into the playoffs. They had had a pretty off year, probably because they got rid of a, a few too many of us. I think in addition to me leaving the team, I think Bruce Driver and maybe maybe John McClain or there was a couple other guys that anyway kind of got moved on but they needed to beat the lowly senators uh and get two points to get into the playoffs and we went into that game and we had we had 
finally, as I mentioned, we had gotten some stability. We, we had a good coach that we liked, and and we had nothing to lose. And so we entered that game figuring we'll play the spoilers, and we, we did. We Everything went well. The puck bounced well for us. New Jersey had had um, one of those seasons where they just never got on, on track. And I... I had a couple fortuitous rebounds and and scored two goals and by the end of the game we had beaten the beaten the Devils, knocked them out of the playoffs and uh and I had two goals against the team that had just recently let me go. So a little bit of um personal gratification I guess getting the revenge, but you know, these days it's not something I think about as as a highlight of my career, but it's it's kind of fun to look back on a I'm knocking them out of the playoffs the year after they got got rid of me. It's weird. So it's 1996 at this time, right? So you don't have cell phones. You can't text your buddy over there. You you don't really shake hands at the end of a regular season nope. game, right? Um, locker right. rooms are probably on the opposite side of the buildings. So there's not a lot of – There's I'm sure that there wasn't a lot of prep. Maybe the New York press picked up on it. Did well, Do you remember any communication after the game uh, that, that stands out to you? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that. Um, you know, I think the guys on the ice when I was on the ice, and we had like a two-goal lead, uh, you know, going late into the game, and so it was clear we were going to win and and they were going to lose. And you know, you could see the looks on their faces if I caught if I you know locked eyes with them, they were kind of just shaking their head like, "Oh my God, I can't believe," you know, you just came in and and are knocking us out of the playoffs. I will say to your point that we didn't. There were some cell phones, but you know you had to carry them in a suitcase. But right. um, um, I I did. This is this is going to sound bad, but I did um, change my answering machine recording to say something to the effect of, you know, hey, you've reached, you know, Tom Chorsky, but I'm not here right now. And if you're not, if you haven't heard the good news, we just knocked the New Jersey Devils out of the playoffs. Um, so that was my way. I did, you know, and I didn't keep it for very long. It was for like a couple of days or something. But um, pretty funny because people were calling me. Oh, I know Claude Lemieux was a player that had moved on as well, and he called my house and he got that recording. And I remember he was laughing on his message, thinking that it was pretty funny that uh, that that was the outgoing message that uh, we had knocked the New Jersey Devils out of the playoffs. That's pretty good. I knew I could get a good story out of that one. Uh, so huh. next next year, things turn a little bit. Uh, Senators haven't ma- made the play. I'm guessing they hadn't made the playoffs in their short uh, nope. four or five years. But they do make the playoffs in the next season, um, which has got to be s- somewhat of a, I mean, not, not Stanley Cup uh, proportion here, but somewhat of a crowning achievement for you and, and your guys that from where you were the year before. Yeah, it really was, and and like I said, we had Jacques Martin had come in as coach, and now we and we had made this major trade to get Damian Rhodes, and a few other, um, um, I think, uh, Steve Duchesne, pretty skilled defenseman, mm-hmm. and and then and going back to that first year, the year before, Daniel Alfredson had been Rookie of the Year, kind of right. came out of nowhere, and was Rookie of the Year in the league for the worst team in the league, and now. Um, you add that into, I think at Christmas time, we still played in the old building for a little while, but it, you know, a couple months into the season, they opened up the brand new arena, which made a big difference it, that, that all of a sudden we weren't playing in a subpar, you know, de- depleted or dilapidated arena. We were in this state of the art, brand new 
um, rink. Everything just felt like everything kind of tastes better then, right? I mean, the beer is colder, oh, yeah. the the uniforms are nicer. Everything just seems better, doesn't it? Oh yeah, you get you know you got a stick room for your stick rack, and and you've got dedicated areas for everything, and a better training room, and and better showers and facilities and locker room and everything's clean and brand new and and it's really it made a difference um on our psyche you know and to the culture and we started you know just started playing better and and by the end of the year we we were in the hunt and i think that came down to the last game of the year as well to get for us to get into the playoffs and we had to beat i think buffalo sabers and then we ended up playing buffalo sabers in our in our playoffs and that went seven games um and there were some overtimes in there and um but it was really it really um gave the city a big boost um to start believing in the team that they you know they now had a a winning team you know a winning hockey team in canada is is everything to the to the residents of that city so um new building and a team that was in the playoffs made you know, started a run for the Ottawa Senators that, you know, if you don't remember, was was a pretty good run. I wasn't part of it, but they were in a lot of Stanley Cup finals and Eastern and Eastern Conference finals and had some really winning years there with Alfredson and Danny Heatley and Spezza and, um, you know, Hosa. They had a lot of good players go through that organization after I left. Uh, so the next year, ninety seven, ninety eight, you have a full season. I say full season because there's two more years after that where it's limited. You're limited to in, by injury. Um, you play with the Islanders. Now you're back in New York City where you had so much success. Uh, somewhat, you know, you were in New Jersey and now you're on Long Island. But walk through what it was like going back to New York. Yeah. So um, at the time, and my now wife Christy and I were uh, we were engaged. And back in, you know, Long Island, which out, out east, it's kind of the tri-state area. It's New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut are, are all kind of interconnected by tunnels or bridges. And, and so to be back out there after having played four years in New Jersey and, and two of them, I was with Christy. And so all of a sudden I had a built-in network of family and friends outside of hockey uh, that lived in that area. So we were reconnected with some of her good friends and those couples. And then, uh, the Islanders at that time, um, not a great team either at that time, you know, maybe kind of middle of the pack and, and, and trying to compete for a playoff spot. Um, and, and it was Rick bonus who had coached me in Ottawa and then had an opportunity to get me again and brought me into, um, into the Islanders organization. And I remember, you know, just, having really good relationships on that team. We had a lot of fun. There was a lot of young couples, um, Brian Smolinski and his wife, Julie and, and Todd Bertuzzi and Brian McCabe. Well, Brian was a younger guy and, and Brian Berard and, and these guys that we were kind of, you know, I was a little bit older than most of those guys, but we did a lot of things together because none of us, we all had, we were couples and, and no kids, uh, no kids. And so, you know, things like, Halloween parties were a ton of fun. Or, you know, if you had an if you had a, a Saturday matinee game, you could decide that you were going to go into into New York City for dinner and a show, or just dinner and you know dinner and drinks, and you could get a car service to go in as a group and and you know live it up as as young. Uh, 
childrenless, you know, people in the big city. So, you know, good memories, good memories from that uh, time, at least socially, you know, but we, we weren't a playoff team that year either. So during that uh, stretch in New York, um, uh, the, a very rare, but it does happen occasionally. The general manager fires the coach and becomes the coach. What was that like uh, with Mike Milbury? Yeah, well, you know, Mike. This Mike, is a PG thirteen show too, but it's ways hot. Yeah, so I know, know, I know. Mike, <laughs> well, Mike was. Mike would. I would say Mike Milbury was. Um, he was an emotional guy. He was an emotional operator, uh, and he would get. You know, he got very mad when we lost and, and sometimes would, you know, was hanging around. And at the end of the year, he just decided, you know, I think we were we were kind of out of it anyway. And I don't know if he thought we were going to battle our way back in. But he fired Rick Bonus and he came down and came behind the bench. And, um, you know, and, and he's known for a lot of making a lot of trades. Not all of them have been good ones, but, you know, it was it was just a tumultuous time, I guess, when, when anytime your coach gets fired, you feel like you let him down. And then, you know, the boss's boss comes in and now he's trying to, you know, he hasn't been coaching and he hasn't been coaching us. And so it was, it was a little awkward, I would say, to have the GM come out of the, come out of the office and, and put the whistle around his neck. But, uh, you know, and looking back on it, it's it's just all good. You know, kind of fun memories. You can kind of laugh or shake your head at uh, from from my NHL days. Yeah, stuff you could definitely learn from, right? Like you, you like you said now. Like, I'm not sure at the time you were real. You realized that he was so emotional, and his emotions took over decision making. Like, I'm sure it probably took you five to ten years to realize what a you know emotional wreck he was. Yeah, yeah, and some of that, you know, happened after I left and continued to, you know, make make a lot of trades. I mean, I I, I think it's fair to say that in general, um, he was very active at making trades and sometimes, I mean, I guess I'm speaking also from my own experience. I, I played one year there, and when I came back, he was still the coach the following season, and we were in training camp um, on the road in St. Louis, and uh, we had had player to coach meetings like the day before and you know I spoke up a little bit and and at that time I had, had you know been part of a Stanley Cup championship season and and then I'd played you know a few more years after that so I felt like I was a veteran and I could you know share my thoughts well I don't think he liked my thoughts very much because the next morning he walks in and he looks at me and he said I just traded you to Washington <laughs> and I literally never went home to our place in Long Island I I gathered up the the little, you know, my road bag that I had on the road and just kind of like you see in the movies, um, he handed me a slip of paper. It's like Moneyball. Here's a piece of paper. Call this person. They're going to, they have a flight for you. Um, you're on the next flight to Washington. And because Washington wasn't that far from Long Island, I flew to Washington and called my um, fiance and I said, I, well, I, before I got to Washington, I said, Hey, I just got traded. I'm going to be in Washington. And she was like, okay, I'll pack up the truck and I'll come down. And she brought a bunch of stuff from, from that trip and for that weekend and, and a bunch of my stuff, enough stuff that I was good to go for a while. She went back to long Island, uh, had the moving company come and pack up all our furniture and, and our belongings and, um, move it down to Washington, DC. But yeah, I, I left, it's really weird. I left, I left the place I was living in uh, and and went on the road, got traded, and I never went back there again. 
Now, what did, did this happen? You did you get traded at the end of the year too to Calgary, like a like a playoff run kind of thing too? From Washington, yeah. yeah. I had in Washington. You know, you mentioned I started. I so I had surgery on. I had one of those um, like athletic hernias. I was yep. having some groin groin problems and abdominal problems, and I had a pretty pretty major surgery that didn't go real well, or it was too invasive. I think the doctor took some liberties and. He was testing out some new, you know, techniques and, and procedures, but, but so I had to heal most of the year and was on the, on the shelf and it came down to the end of the year and I was just starting to get back on the ice and Washington wasn't going to be in the playoffs. I was trying to, um, save my career because I was at the end of my contract. And so I talked to Mike McPhee and he was the GM at the time, really classy guy. And he said, "Hey, I'll do what I I'll do what I can. I'll try to find you a team that uh, is is going to be in the playoffs so that you can extend your season and and hopefully earn yourself another contract, which was really classy of him. But the only team he could find was the Calgary Flames, and there was no guarantee that they were going to get in. They were kind of fighting for a spot, but um, I I I was traded to them, and uh, we we tried to get into the playoffs. I really wasn't a hundred percent, so I didn't play very well there." Um, but played for kind of a, a famous coach or one of the famous Sutter brothers, which mm-hmm. is a, another interesting experience. Talk about intense. I mean, Mike Mil- Mike Milbury was emotional and intense, but not more than uh, not more than Brian Sutter. That I- guy would just his eyeballs would pop out of his head. He was so intense and and you know wanted you to play so hard and he wanted to win so badly, um, which probably explains why him and his six brothers got to the NHL. Yeah, it does t- um, say a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know, I ended I did end up for just a short stint in in Calgary uh with the Flames and then the year after that I ended up with a contract in uh in Pittsburgh. And you, that was the year you played for Herb Brooks, right? Well, I uh, twice. Herb Brooks when I first got to New Jersey, my second season, Herb Brooks coached me in New Jersey too. So, oh, that's I actually right. had him on uh, yeah, I had him on two occasions, uh, once early in my career and once really late in my career. And and I've you know I've told the story a few times, but you know he and he was he was different to me on the front end than he was on the back end. He, he on the front end he he skated up to me the first time I was ever on the ice with him, and and he said something to me that kind of took the wind right out of my sails. But he he said I've been watching you my whole life. And you're going to have to play a hell of a lot better if you're going to be in my lineup. And I was, you know, I was blown away because, you know, you hear these stories about him and you see Miracle and he did challenge players. And this was one of those times that he did it to me. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that it was coming. I figured I could skate like the wind and, and could play exactly the way he wanted me to play. But um, when he said, I've been watching you my whole life. I've, all of a sudden, I thought he probably has. He's from St. <laughs> Paul, and I'm from Minneapolis, and he's not kidding. And his you know, kid really played. Does. His kid, a kid yeah. that was a year younger yeah. than you, Danny, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Actually, I played against Danny Brooks in the Twin City uh, Championship. Um, yes, my senior year, your junior year, and he was playing for they, him and Randy Scarter were playing for St. Thomas Academy, and those two guys just pounded me all night long. Yes. Um, but you know, here's Herb Brooks. The you know, this is now 90, 93, and he's still kind of an idol of mine. But he 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 knocked me right off my feet with that comment, 
And then in Pittsburgh, um, I wasn't playing very much for coach Kevin Constantine and Herb Brooks was, he got, Kevin got fired, um, which didn't hurt my feelings, but Herb Brooks came in and said, Hey, uh, Tommy, I'm going to give you a chance. Oh, it was complete 180. He like comes to me, pulls me aside and he goes, there's, you can still play and I'm going to give you a chance. You haven't been given a chance here. Um, and what ended up happening is I went out, I got my, I hurt my shoulder in about the third game that he was coaching and I was out for several weeks. And then right when I was coming back is when my dad got diagnosed with cancer and I ended up taking a leave from the team and never went back. So that season didn't, didn't end very well either. But Herb Brooks at that point had been really nice to me and, and had said some really encouraging things. I thought it was going to be, when you said complete, I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought it was like, oh yeah, I got my, my I'm going to build around you when you were young and at the end he was going to, you know, toss you aside. <laughs> you know, has that, you, that was a good story. You know, you, you, but that's typical, typical Herbie. Do yep. the opposite of what? Of yes. what you think he's going to do, you know, <laughs> you think you, you think you played great and he'd tell you you sucked. And then if you were, you know, if you were down on your luck, he, he was smart enough to, he would never, he would never like, you know, gloat or, or go too far with too much, too many compliments. I don't think, but he'd make a, you know, a subtle compliment or, you know, a subtle comment that to give you some reassurance if things weren't going well, I think, I think he, you know, he had his way of, just giving you a little bit of a boost that to let you know that you know you're not in the doghouse or you're not you're not going to get scratched or sat or traded or whatever. Right. So that was just how he he was a master you know motivator and and a pretty clever communicator. So you spoke about your dad Bob uh, passing uh, in in 2000, and I'd be remiss to say uh, that uh, your dad had a profound effect on my life growing up. Um, we were on the same hockey teams every other year, you know, first year squirts, you know, that kind of thing. You were a year older than me, so he was always my ride to the rink every practice. I'd call up to call Mr. Chorsky and see if I could get a ride to practice. Cause that's what I did. And he would always pick me up, and I have so many vivid memories, and I'll just give you one. It was the cigarette. I don't know why this is such a stupid memory, but when Bob Chor, for some reason, my mom smoked too, but whenever Bob Chorsky lit up a cigarette, it smelled like a bed of roses. I don't know, there's something <laughs> about his brand smelled different than my mom's brand. Oh. And then he'd crack yeah. the window and he'd be smoking it. And we he'd smoke literally. If there's kids listening, he would literally smoke a cigarette between Fremont Avenue and Parade Ice Garden. It was smelled so good, and I don't know why it did. And I'm sure it wasn't oh, very healthy yeah. for us. But there's my no. bot, and he always had cool cars too. He always had a much cooler car than my nerdy parents. So your dad smoked. He was. Always super positive and super lighthearted. I knew he, you could tell he hadn't ever played hockey before. So he was really just really happy that there were these kids playing. You know, basically we were all supporting actors to Superstar Tom. So that's what people need to know. But so he's like, oh, I'll pick up one of the supporting actors. We need 15 kids to for my kid to play this sport with. And uh, he was always so happy when hockey was being played. Well, that's true, and you've you've said a few things in there that um, are kind of epitomize who my dad was. Um, yeah, he didn't play hockey. I think the reason he liked to pick you up is because he, you know, it was a perfect distance so he could smoke that cigarette to get it to the rink. Um, 
He and yeah, he smoked Marble Reds, and you know, in the end, it took his life because of cancer. But um, you know, yeah, we were we were exposed to a lot of secondhand smoke, that's for sure. But more importantly, he he loved um, being involved in youth sports. You know, we were all multi-sport athletes. We yeah, football, play baseball, play hockey, and that's probably you know when you're talking about getting rides, it probably wasn't just for hockey, right? So no. that's why it football. probably why it stands out. It stands out because he'd swing by and grab you for football too, or, and, and maybe baseball if we ever played some baseball together. But, um, you know, he, he, he did love that part. He was very social. As you said, lighthearted, like he just liked being at the rink because there'd be some other parents there that he could, you know, hang out with and talk. And it just was his total social life. And, and then, you know, as I guess as fate would have it, uh, I, I, kept on playing and kept on improving. And, and so his, his life as a hockey dad kind of just kept on getting, you know, better and better and, and, you know, playing high school hockey in in Minnesota is such a big thing. And if you're having some success and, and going to, you know, bigger games like the twin city championship and trying to get to the state tournament, although we never got there, we still got to play in some big games at oh, yeah. Bloomington Ice garden or, you the know, made it to the Met center and you know where the north stars are playing and we're we're on the ice and and you know it's not sold out but there was probably you know whatever seven or eight thousand people at the met to watch us play a bloomington you know kennedy game that's pretty big time for 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 my dad who never played hockey and just loved being around it so you know to him that was just like the epitome it was pretty cool that he got to to just be part of that. And, and then it goes on, you know, kind of kept on going, like I said, and, you know, him, him and my mom um, continued their love for going to my games and, and just kind of supporting me that way. But they, their social lives evolved around um, other couples or parents that had kids playing. And, you know, like I said, it carried forward with the Gophers. Um, and then when I went off to play pro hockey, they'd hang out at Bunny's and smoke cigarettes and watch it on the satellite. What was the? Uh, it wasn't Bunnies though, was it? Was it with, what was the other O'Toole's? What was the bar was next to O'Toole's? Yeah, it was Bunnies was down there. That's where Bunnies was. But Bunnies was across the parking lot from there. But the old yeah, Bunnies. Yeah, it was right. The but old there, Bunnies, right along. But there was a bar there, attached was... to O'Toole's. I don't remember the name of it. There was a liquor store, and then there was another bar. And the reason I say this, I remember watching playoff hockey with your sister Elizabeth and your mom and dad and assorted well, other West. At that time, it was Gippers. Probably, Gippers, thank Gippers. you, thank you. Yeah, they watched a lot of games there because it was like yeah. maybe it was a random network or it was just a great place to go socialize to watch. I always remember it was in the spring; it was nice weather, and I'd be like, "Why am I going into a bar right now to watch hockey?" And we'd be going to watch. Uh, a playoff game and 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 there you were you know it's it was the only way to watch it you know because you didn't have satellite at at home no so you had to go to the sports bar it was great it was great that was the the one memory the other memory about bob is and, and you you alluded to a little bit but he was never the coach but he was always the team manager. I mean, there, if there was a prototypical team manager, the teams when I played on your team were managed 10 times better than they were the next year when I wasn't on your team. Yeah. He was, you know, part of it, he was very meticulous, organized. Oh. Um, and so he liked to do the scheduling. Uh, and, and that was what he could bring to the team. You know, he couldn't coach, but he could be the, 
could be the manager and organize it. And he liked to, uh, I think, get the uniforms done and get the sponsor, uh, find out, you know, find the sponsor. One year it was Carboni's, another year it was Munsingware, and we've, 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 you know, laughed about. Oh yeah, Burnett Realty. Um, Burnett Realty, yeah. I mean, all these old, <laughs> these old companies and brands that uh, are now bigger. Yeah, you know, bigger brands probably than than they were then. But um, you know, he. You know that was just what he could do. He could organize it, and it gave him something to do in in his spare time and free time, and it was something he was good at. And and so I think it it just helped him feel like he was he was contributing to the team. The other thing he he would run the clock a lot too, right? I yep. think he'd, or he'd swing swing open the uh, the penalty box door, whatever. So um, yeah, I mean it's that way. So he he never missed a game either. I guess from, no from that standpoint, no chance. Uh, the other thing is he was. Hey, let me interrupt you. Okay. I got to say, you said he had cool cars. You know what? We I don't I didn't think we ever had really cool cars, but well, one time he <laughs> the red one. He, I mean, right? It was like a yeah, red he, cougar, he, wasn't it? He, yeah, he restored an old cougar from like 1967, which. That one was kind of cool. It looked a little bit like a Mustang, and it was fire engine red or candy apple red or whatever. Yeah. But he was meticulous, like I said, and so he kept a really clean car. Yes. Cars were always clean and 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 in good shape. You know, they weren't they weren't uh, dirty on the inside or, or run down. But you know, we had some we had some pretty modest cars over the years. I'll say that we we didn't. We we weren't uh, living in the lap of luxury, but no, no, we were both. We kind of grew up about the same socioeconomics. We had money, but we we had all we needed, right? That's what I like to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing is, he was yeah. kind of an artist. He, obviously, he he was a painting oh, yeah. artist too, but he was a food artist. Anytime he made something, oh, it tasted so good. There's just something about Bob Chorsky had the touch, the magic touch with a lot of different things. Well, he kind of went through phases of um, being. Um, dedicated to something and I think it was when I was younger you know probably when we were 10 11 12 uh, 13 middle school age he was kind of into um, cooking oh. he would he he got into Chinese cooking and I remember we'd go down to this like Chinese wholesaler and he'd buy all these ingredients um, kind of and make these meals kung pao chicken from scratch or whatever and then um, maybe I remember he made cheesecakes. He got really good at making yep. New York style cheesecake. Uh, and so, yeah, whatever he did, he was kind of obsessed the, with it. To the nth degree, right? To the nth degree and, and do it from scratch and whatever. And then a little bit later in life, you mentioned that when I was in high school and college, uh, he got into sketching and painting. painting. And I have, I have some pretty cool um, paintings that he did of me you know, playing or, or still photographs of me from hockey. And, um, and, and he did some, he did some really good, um, ink, just ink pen stuff. He was, if you remember, he always had an ink. Yes. He could write, he could calligraphy. Write calligraphy. Yep. He could do calligraphy. And then he always kept a pen handy, um, on it, pinned to his, between his buttons on his button down shirts. And he, he was famous for, um, drawing and writing out his thoughts like i'm not in, literally on napkins you know yeah. we'd, be, we'd be at a restaurant and he'd grab a napkin and he'd scroll something down like you know these days we put it in our phone or whatever but a it, it, little reminder he'd go i gotta do this or he'd draw a picture or something and so he always had he always had pens in his hands and pens around and, and that's a you know i i do it to this day as a little homage to him i carry a pen uh when i need one and it's tucked in between my 
two buttons on a button-down shirt. So that's yeah. memory of his. You know, it's funny, Tom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a really funny, or at least attempt at a funny wisecrack here. So your dad, in later in life, uh, was a painter. And my dad, later in life, was a painter. He painted flowers and painted everything. He took. He was really into art later in life. So does that mean at some point that you and I are going to be sitting next to each other at Lake of the Isles doing a painting of some sort? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Neither do I! There's been times when I've sort of been a little fascinated with it and drawing and, and that. My daughter actually has some talent in with sketching and drawing, but um, I don't see that. Uh, I don't. I love outdoors. I love nature, but I'm not going to sit and draw it. Oh, I'm going to shoot photos of it, but I'm not going to draw it. That's for sure. But right. I, I laugh. I, you just said that. I'm like, well, yeah, that's right. He did that later in life. My dad did that later in life. I'm like, are you and I going to do that later in life? I don't see it happening. I really don't. I don't. No. No. I don't think you're gonna see me uh, uh, playing a tuba or either anything musically. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> Those days are yeah, never gonna yeah. happen. All right, so let's have some fun. Sorry, I jumped off uh, the Bob Achorsky, uh dock there, but it was just, just so many good memories of, of your dad, and I didn't want to leave that out in today's uh, sketch. Yeah, no, thanks for doing that. And then there's been a lot of other players, you know, a lot of teammates and kids we grew up with that kind of had the same experience you know I brag about my dad a little bit in that way but you know lots of lots of other players on our teams that kind of said the same thing about him your dad always if I needed a ride he'd show up and all I had to do was call him and you know we'd be over at Bryant Square which was wasn't on the way to parade or Augsburg but he'd be picking up picking up players over there too so that was he was he was a good guy that way for sure. Yeah, you just said something to remind me of a story. I don't know how, where I brought it up on a podcast or something. I brought up Mr. Gruy, and we could talk about Daryl Gruy till we're blue in the face. But <laughs> Daryl, guy who gave a lot of rides. Oh my God! So so Ray Christie, a mutual friend of ours, uh, told me a story after I I just bopped his name. I don't know how it came out on a podcast, but he texted me. He goes, Mr. Gruy drove me. You know where Gruy's lived, you know where Ray lived, you know where Bloomington uh, Westwood is, right? He picked me up at my house in Bryant Square and drove me to Bloomington Ice Garden to get my skates fixed or sharpened and then drove me back. And I'm like, do you think I am a bit shocked that Mr. Gruy would do that? But back in the day, no one would do drive from west side of Lake of the Isles to Bryant Square on Lake and Bryant to Bloomington Westwood, which was 98th and 35 and back. That's just something that didn't happen, but Mr. Greer would do it. Well, there's a guy who was, was pretty angelic, too. He was, you know, these guys would do anything just to help us out and get us to our games. It was pretty cool. So, which is a great segue into my next session, and that's family man Tom Chorsky. So, uh, by the by, the, your career winds down, and you have your first uh, child, Brett, uh, in two thousand one. I'm thinking Hannah's a two thousand two. So, you guys didn't waste much time between child one and child two, and then. Um, and we then, had to catch up. We were older. Yeah, so. you were a little bit. Not too far. Not too far behind. And then uh, Andrew was about 2006. So you have three kids in four and a half years. Uh, walk through uh, your role uh, compared to maybe Bob and Mary Chorsky's role. Uh, how much different does it look from uh, Lake of the Isles days to living in Edina? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we, we, we kind of for a while there, we were pretty busy with three, three kids under, you know, 10 or whatever. Um, and 
I had come back, retired, was retired when Brett was born, uh, and back in school. And so with Brett and Hannah, I was a college student uh, for the first probably like 18 months, two years of, of retirement, which my wife will tell you was pure bliss. You know, just the two of us raising, you know, we're now proud new parents and, and I'm a college student, but not working and have plenty of time to be a new dad. And so it was a lot of fun for us to, you know, I, I had plenty of free time, you know, outside of studying and just trying to wrap up my college degree, but, you know, was pretty hands-on and, and loved every minute of it. And so, you know, got to try and get your kids, uh, athletic and playing all kinds of sports and you know they're still pretty young five six seven but um you know you say parenthood it's it's and we're we're talking about being a hockey dad right you know, right so future hockey dad but no i i tried to get my kids to, and they did they played all different sports when they were young but um you know as far as as being involved you know i think probably like all parents these days um, starting back in, you know, when I started in 2001, um, you know, I think it was a little different than, than our parents where, you know, dads were going out the door to work, you know, every day at 7am or whatever. And they're gone and gone until five and, and mom raised, you know, raised us when we were younger. So it was a little different from that standpoint, but actually, you know, really good memories of being able to, you know, it's kind of a luxury to be able to spend that much time with your, you're then kind of toddlers and, and elementary age kids. So your wife, Christy, and your mom, Mary, couldn't be any more opposites as far as stature. Christy, close to six feet tall, isn't she? Yeah. She looks yeah, like a Minnesota. She looks like a Minnesotan, though, right, with her blonde hair, right? Yeah, not like a Jersey girl because most Jersey girls have black hair. <laughs> and your mom is fairly short, right? Dark yeah, hair. Yeah. It's, just, it's just so funny. I was like, wow, that is a complete Tom married the opposite. Usually you marry either the same or the opposite. Tommy fits into the, the opposite department. But she's quite involved in raising children just like your mom, Mary, right? Oh, yeah. she's She's been uh, converted, you know, I mentioned from New Jersey. So she didn't grow up in Minnesota. But uh, she knew me starting in 94 and so was was along for about six years of my pro career. Uh, and, and then, you know, she'll tell you these days that being in Minnesota, uh, her favorite, most people would say is, you know, the summer months. That's why we, we, we tolerate the winter months. Right. Um, if people don't know, there's a, well, you've heard of the Jersey shore from the show, but that's not really what the Jersey shore is really like. It's a, it's a great spot in the summer. It's, it's beach life. It's, uh, you know, it's cabanas and, and tiki bars a little bit and there's boardwalks and there's you know there's a lot of fun things to do and it's a great it's a you know it's kind of a great summer culture out on the jersey shore um and so christy would miss she missed being able to go to the ocean in the summers but loves the winter because she you know over the course of time you know with all of our kids playing hockey and and even you know when they're younger they they go out the door to go sledding uh they skate on the pond and then they're a little bit older. They're playing squirt hockey, peewee hockey, bantam hockey, and U15 and U12. And so really her her social life and all of her best friends and her kids, some of their most happy, active moments were in wintertime. And so she really 
associates um, winter in Minnesota as probably her her favorite memories have have happened uh, in the winter months when our kids have been you know active outdoors and, and active in hockey. Well, the one comparison I know Christy and your mom really well. The one comparison is they're both very sharp, like really keen on lots of different things. I was like, well, there was the one comparison that Christy's pretty sharp, and your mom, wow, I could tell, I could write a book on Mary Chorskyisms uh, growing up. Well, yeah, they're they're sharp in their own ways. One's East Coast, and and you know, one's Midwest. So they're I would say they're they're very different. Yeah, um, in, in a lot of ways too. Uh, but yeah, you you unfortunately had to grow up, uh, you know, under the watchful eye of Mary Chorsky. The he, hawk we he, called her, right? He was the hawk, and well, and and you running around with uh, my younger sister who was in your grade. Yeah, you know, you guys, you, you know, you guys couldn't get away with anything with Mary nothing Chorsky. she was or like, nan she, she, or nan's ozel she was it was the, the the tag team you nan, know nan could nan could figure stuff out from her from her um chair in in your house my mom was probably more the kind of person that was following you um you know tailing you about half a block behind <laughs> in, in, in the car she, she couldn't couldn't let it go without you know being a being a hovering detective, she, yeah, she would have been a she would have been a good FBI agent. We uh, she's going to be in part one, so if uh, we're we're going to spend some time on Mary, way more time on Mary <laughs> oh, Tversky in part Not one. Too much. I got one Not story that's just you are you kind of spoiled it a little bit there, but boy, did she get me good, really good, and all my friends, <laughs> including Elizabeth and her cousin Kate, and it was epic. Let's put it that way. It it, it involves a a greyhound bus. That's all I'm going to say. I'm gonna, I, I know that story. It's so good. It's so good. So, all right, uh, let's move uh, forward here. We're already at an hour, by the way. We got another thirty minutes. Oh, we, haven't, we haven't Sorry, even got. No, I know, I know. This is good. So, all right, let's. Uh, we have sports media, and then we have the St. Cloud uh, Norseman. So, I want to talk a little bit about your involvement. You got involved. I thought it was a lot longer. Uh, I thought you'd been in, in in the business sports media for longer than 2010, 10 years. Um, walk me through why you got into it and why it was important for you to be in in the sports media business. Well, it started off with um, I was you know I was retired and I was former Gopher hockey player, former NHL player, and I was watching Gopher broadcasts and and wild broadcasts, and and I wanted to be back involved in hockey and, and I wasn't going to play anymore. And, and I just thought, well, I'll, you know, like go into broadcasting and maybe that give that a try. And it's not like a new concept. It's been done, you know, for, mm-hmm. for ages. And so I decided that I would approach Fox sports North and tell them that I was interested in getting involved. And I thought it made a lot of sense at the time. I think go for broadcasts were just Doug Woog and, and, and Frank Mazzacco or, right. you know, or um, Wally Shaver. And I just thought, you know, at, and, and Reed Larson had done it a little bit. And um, I just thought, you know, they should mix it up a little bit. This is kind of was my, frankly, my point of view. And so I, I had a meeting with Fox Sports North and, you know, they didn't really even know about me, I don't think, or hadn't really put, put it together. And once they thought about it and met me and um, they thought, yeah, well, we probably wouldn't hurt us to have another person in the mix. And I got involved. And then for a while there, it was, 
you know, Darby was involved on Gopher and Wild broadcasts, and then I was getting my feet wet and learning and, and trying to catch up to Darby. And at the time, Kevin Gorg was hosting, and Marty Gellner was hosting, and Anthony LaPanta was hosting from the desk, you know, kind of sitting next to us. And, right. And we'd do, the, we'd do those shows, and, and painful at first. And, and, you know, it's funny, people about five years into it, they were like, wow, you're you're getting pretty good. And I'd say, well, you told me that last year. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you know, you weren't that good last year, but now you're getting better. And so, um, it's, I think I was one of those people. I would send you texts like you're doing great. Keep it up. You know, I remember doing that way back. Yeah, which is, which, which I appreciated. And and it does take some encouragement from, from friends that, you know, that you'd know, like, and trust. And, um, and and other people, you know, once you've been at it for a while, people recognize you and they come up and they go, wow, you really do a good job. And I say, thanks. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, because it does mean a lot to to hear from, you know, a Minnesota hockey fan that they like the work you do on TV and they appreciate your, you know, your insights and your comments and or maybe just your style. And, but it does, t- it, t- it took a little while, but it's, it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun. I, I look back and, think of working with Jamie Hirsch now who's moved on and, and does such a great job on the NHL network. Um, Jenny Taft for a while was yeah. involved with us and now she's gotten to be pretty big time. Notice the correlation there. Their faces are a little bit nicer than a little I prettier, think, but little uh, prettier. Yes. A little prettier, but again, they're so professional and they do such a good job. You know, one thing about working with Jenny Taft was she had played hockey and yeah. was a pretty good hockey player. And we used to do those, um, post-game instructionals. Um, we'd run down onto the ice after the game, both for a while, for both Gopher and Wild games, and we'd come up with some sort of instructional uh, video or, or, or um, you know, something from the game that we could we could transfer over to the post-game show and show how a goal was scored or show how you do a saucer pass or whatever. And to do it with Jenny Taff was great because, you know, she could actually execute the play and then and then explain it and, and then be on camera with you. And it, you know, it just, it made for, I thought it made for great TV which it did, but it was really hard to execute. So one thing I've learned, you know, you asked like, well, what's it been like? And, you know, I wanted to get involved because I wanted to be closer to the game and I thought I could probably, you know, contribute something that, that, that made sense and, and was meaningful and, and hopefully quality. But also I, you know, I've found that uh, it's been great to be involved because at wild games now, anyway, in between periods, we're up in the press box and I get to see um, guys that I played with that are now opposing coaches that are um, not on the bench. They're up in the press box or, or man, you know, general managers or agents, uh, scouts that are in town scouting the, you know, usually there's six, eight, 10 scouts every night at a, at a professional game at a yeah. wild game watching the players. And so a lot of those guys are guys that I played with or against. And so, you know, Billy Guerin now is the GM of the Wild, and and we were teammates for I think three three years in New Jersey, won a cup together. So now I get to see Billy Guerin, which is a lot of fun, and we can either talk about old stories and laughs, or we you know we can talk about current stuff and about the team. Um, but you know, and then the other thing on that's pretty interesting on the broadcast side is all the work that's going on behind it. Really, you know, the the people in front of the camera are about twenty percent of yeah. of working hard and and what's going on behind the scenes. And Fox Sports North does such a good job with their hockey broadcasts and, and their telecasts that um, it's just really high 
people probably maybe don't recognize it if they, unless they go to another market and watch um, watch other um, broadcasts. But the the production value that goes on in this market is really high, and the you know the the on camera talent is 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 really good too. But um, really learn to appreciate the work that goes into the graphics and the audio and the camera work, and especially on on events like hockey day, which I've been fortunate to work on a little bit too, those day long of, of, um, broadcasting from around the state. I mean, that just doesn't get done in other hockey markets or in any other market, really. Um, that show and that production is, is kind of considered, you know, one of the, one of the hardest and and highest bars you can for live, um, sports broadcasting. So being part of that has been really cool too. And, yeah, it's been 10 years, you know, maybe it seems like 15, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud to have been part of it. It's it's turning out to be kind of a significant part of my post-hockey career. I uh, My only criticism early on and even maybe even to this day is you're a very good storyteller and very personable. And it's really hard to get that when you're on the air. I get, I get that out of you when you're on the air. Does that make sense? Yeah, probably. You know, part of it is is that the cadence and the amount of time that you have it's is so short. really limited. Yeah. And so, it, you know, sometimes being a good storyteller requires detail. And, and my wife would say I get too long-winded, you know, land that plane. And, you know, it's <laughs> too long. But I think I've heard air, that in my house, too. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's kind of get to the point here. So, um, and when you're on air, if you start to get long-winded, you can feel it because it's just like you you're so used to the sound bite being a certain yeah. length of yeah. time and you can tell it's it's like it's i don't know if it's 12 seconds or 14 seconds but when you get into that range or that window and you start going beyond it you can just feel the the director in your ear he's going to start talking or she's going to say wrap it up hey, tom wrap it up wrap right? it up Wrap it up, or or even when I'm looking across at um at you know at the host, you know nowadays with Audra Martin, you can tell she's like, hey, it's it's my turn to talk, or we, we, you know we got to keep the we got to keep the show on the road here. We got commercials yeah. to get to, I know. You know, or whatever. So there's there's just limited amount of time, and you have to get you got to get concise and precise. And I've been coached, you know, that I got to get better at it. But no, and again, like. You gotta, I, I mean that as a compliment. I'm, I'm do- totally yeah, meant as a compliment. I'm like, wow, you tell yeah. such a good story. And we got some good stories uh, com- coming up in, in part one about your playing career and, and growing up, too. So you'll, you'll hear it. You're a great storyteller, and they're so funny and well thought out. And I don't care if you go long. It's it's our show, right? <laughs> yeah, people get tired of listening, probably. No, they won't. All right. Uh, we we kind of jetted through the sports media part of it. We could go on and on about that. Um, what I'd like to do is spend a little bit more time on the on your role with the St. Cloud Norsemen. I got I think every time I guess it because they were the St. Cloud Blizzard. Uh, that's the first question. What went into the renaming? Because it just came out of the blue. It was like all of a sudden they have a new name, a new cool logo. Uh, go through that process, uh, and maybe even we'll get to how you got to the St. Cloud first. But let's go through the naming process first. Yeah. So you know, shortly after. Um, Corey and I were announced as head coach, and I mean, I was I was announced as general manager of business operations. It's it's not 
general manager as hockey people would think per se of being the general manager like a Bill Guerin where I'm in charge of all the the player personnel moves although I will be involved with that um to a to a degree when I when I can help Corey and and make a difference in you know evaluating players and we can talk about that but both of us you know started off right away thinking this logo needs a refresh and and you know we sensed it and knew it right away you know I think as a player uh I went through a rebrand or a refresh with the Devils when they they used to wear green, green. pants and we had yeah. green in the jerseys and and you know we would get chirped that our pants you know looked terrible and or that we were like a Christmas tree and 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 when we got rid of the green and brought in black um it just all of a sudden it just it just felt better to pull on that, that sweater uniform and pull on pull on the socks and and kind of had a more traditional pant at the time instead of a colored pant uh it just it just made us feel better and look better and i don't know maybe it translated a little bit to to playing better but you know the brand that uh was the thing cloud blizzard there was a challenge also that there's an NA3 team which is a team in a league below us one level down, that the same owners, Chris Canavati out of Alexandria, he owns that team too. And they're also called the Blizzard, and they're in Alexandria. And so there's the Alexandria Blizzard and the St. Cloud Blizzard that when they moved up from Brookings, all of a sudden they're kind of neighbors. And then they're in the same central Minnesota region, two teams called the Blizzard, but they're in different leagues. And you really don't want that. You don't want you don't want to have the same name as a team that's in a, in a league that's um, lower than you because it, it – takes away from you know the i think the <laughs> the level of league that you're playing in right which is a little which is a little more prestigious or or more important um for players to get to college that's players are players aren't getting to college from the na3 they might be starting there but they've got to go through the next level up uh, that being us and at the north american hockey league or the ushl um, or the BCHL, and there's there's a lot of different junior leagues, but we're we're at that tier two level, which is above this Alexandria Blizzard. So we wanted to separate us from that confusion, right? Um, and there's an NA3 team in St. Cloud. They're called the the Granite City Lumberjacks. So right. there was, there's a potential for Alexandria to come into St. Cloud. The Blizzard are playing the Lumberjacks, but then there's also a St. Cloud Blizzard. It just it didn't work at all, and and the logo needed a refresh and and so we just said hey let's do it and it's going to it's going to feel better it's going to look better um you know we've got aspirations of of having better apparel and we want people to want to wear our logo on a hat or on a hoodie or on a sweatshirt or you know maybe on a on a replica jersey and we think that the the new Norseman logo looks you know a lot better it's it's it it feels a lot better it 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 exemplifies something you know that people can identify with and players can identify kind of that warrior um you know type personification almost the the viking the viking kind of feel too right yeah well i mean the norseman is is basically another word for a viking it's it's from that same genre Mm -hmm. um it's it's a it's a warrior from you know scandinavia which should resonate with Minnesotans. And, and like I said, we're trying to connect with Minnesotans in that central Minnesota, greater St. Cloud area. And so uh, we went through different iterations and we had different ideas brought to us. Um, 
we've got a, a director of marketing named Amy Heftel in, in the organization, and she quarterbacked it, and she had reached out and got a couple of freelancers. And then between me, her, and um, Chris and his brother, um, we we all kind of chipped in and, and kept on going through iterations of it, and we finally ended up with what we have. And we think it's going to be something that, you know, the players are proud of wearing and, and our fan base will, uh, will embrace and, and we'll put it on, we'll put it on some swag and some apparel and, and hopefully it resonates in the community and, and with sponsors and partnership and things like that. So um, sports marketing and branding and is something I've always been pretty, pretty interested in and fascinated with. I wasn't trained in it, but I've, I've spent a fair amount of time, um, since retiring, even when I played, I think that you recognize, you know, logos that you liked, or even when I was a kid, there was advertising and marketing that I thought was effective. And then there was stuff I thought was stupid and dumb. And so for me to have an opportunity to do this with a team that I'm, um, you know, kind of operating or cooperating with others, uh, has been a lot of fun. And, and if it, if it works and people like it, um, that'll be pretty gratifying too. Well, I can't see why it wouldn't be successful because I thought that the Blizzard brand was exactly what you said. I'm like, how many Blizzards are there and which one is which? And, and I don't think – I think the product that was in St. Cloud uh, coupled with, like you said, with the Granite City team having years of history there at, at the NA3 level brought some challenges. And I think you and Corey and, and your team there have really just out of the gate are off to a fast start. If, if it weren't for COVID, I think that this was, I thought it was very well received, especially on social media. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and, and we appreciate that. And, you know, it did, it confirmed that what we believed is that, the brand needed to be renewed. Um, there was some people that, you know, really applauded us and said, thank you that we're, we're, we're ready to be done with, with that old logo and, and, and not to dance on, um, not to dance on the blizzard's grave. But, uh, I, I was talking with Ian Moran, uh, who you talked to recently. Yes. And, and Ian is a guy that I played with in Pittsburgh and, He's a funny guy, you know, from his interview. Very, pretty funny. very funny. And he, he nailed it. I was, he, he, we were talking about players cause he's involved in scouting, right? right. So he's a relationship. He's a relationship I can lean on. If we hear about a player playing in prep school out East, I can call Ian and Ian can say, yep. Saw him three times last year. He's this, he's this, he's this, uh, he's not that, you know? Yeah. He's, you know, I like him or, you know, or he's, He's this type of player, but he's not this type of player. So when we talk about having relationships um, from my playing days or, or in even my post-broadcasting days, a lot of people I can call and lean on. But Ian said, hey, love the new logo. Awesome. He said that other one, they say it looked like a, a, a monster from a Scooby-Doo cartoon episode. And I was like, oh, my God, you're not wrong. He's not wrong that if you could picture – like the Scooby-Doo van getting stranded in a, you know, on their way to go snow skiing or something in Vermont, right? In Vermont or whatever. <laughs> that's the monster that would have come out of the woods was this kind of off, off looking Yeti or off looking yeah. abominable snowman or something. And so, um, you know, we laughed about it and, and had a good chuckle. And, but I'm like, you are, you just nailed it. It did look like 
kind of one of those monsters, you know, cartoon monsters from the 70s. It was bad. So let's go through your role. Uh, we don't need your entire job description. Is, it, is, the, is the hockey part uh, 20 30% and then the business side, like building a brand, uh, selling, selling advertisements, uh, helping, with, helping attract people to come to your camps. I'm sure a lot of those day-to-day roles are, will be kind of based on the day on the calendar, right? As January will, be, will look a lot different than August. Right. That's a good way to put it. You know, overall, it might be 70-30, but, you know, once you do get into the season, um, then maybe I, I'm, I'm watching the team more, more from, a, from a hockey evaluation standpoint, player evaluations, feedback to Corey, uh, Millen uh, on how I thought you know the game went, or he might say, "Hey, could you watch this? Watch certain player, and and let's talk about it after the game." I can certainly help out that that way. But um, in in these you know months leading up to what we hope is um, a full season, yeah, my priorities right now are to well, we change the brand, which we hope will resonate and and spark you know more interest from the fans and from the business community. Hopefully they find it to be something um, a little bit, you know, new and refreshed or something that they can um, latch on to a little bit better. So we need to, um, you know, until we win, until we win 10 games, which would match last year's, you know, winning total, um, then we can start bragging about being a better team. But so, you know, we're a little bit at the mercy of getting into the season and demonstrating that we're going to be a better on ice product. But that being said, can almost guarantee it with what we've already been able to do with some of our tenders, which is like signing a free agent. And we had a supplemental draft the other day and if we get, that was three players. And so between our tenders and the three players we've picked so far, and then we've got an entry draft coming in July. You know, if we, if we do our jobs well and we're able to attract these players and get them uh, in a Norseman Jersey, we're going to be better. We're going to be a better team. Corey's going to be a really good coach. He's really good at teaching. Um, he's got 11 years in the NHL, or, or you know maybe it's 10, and then he had an additional seven or eight years playing hockey in Europe. And he's coached in this league already and won the championship in 2014. So you know he's already demonstrated that he's a good coach at this level, and and he's really looking forward to, and he's really challenged to, you know, try to step back into the league and win a championship again, because once you have, that's kind of your bar. And so between, you know, his experience and my experience and our level of play, that these players, most of them, I don't know who they played for in the past, but none of them probably have been surrounded by quite as much experience and uh, that, that Corey and I can deliver. Um, but uh, so we're going to have a better on-ice product, and, and hopefully that will draw you know, interest from our fans. We do need to get more fans in the building. Um, but it's a challenge. You know, there's the St. Cloud State Huskies. There's high school hockey up there. With, there's three teams, and, and, and obviously um, Cathedral is a really good high school hockey team that's, as of late, been making runs into the state tournament. Uh, there's youth hockey, a lot of youth hockey. There's Sartell. Youth hockey, which is next door. Yeah. There's St. Cloud youth hockey, and you know. And then there's Sauk hockey, Rapids too. I mean, which is and right across Rapids. the river, right? Yep. So there's right. lots Sauk and Rapids lots of is right in there too. So, and if you're a youth hockey family, even if you only have one child playing, and if they're playing on a on an A team, say, uh, or even a B team, 
you know, they're probably busy four or five nights a week. And, and, and the, on other times, depending how old they are, they've got homework or they've got religion. And, and then every, you know, parents, some nights, they just want a night off and stay at home. So we recognize that uh, it's a challenge to get people to slide in, you know, one more night of coming to watch us on a Friday or Saturday night. But I think the challenge for me is just to be able to execute on those nights. We try to schedule our games when St. Cloud State is on the road. Yep. You know, or maybe, or maybe they're playing uh, against a, a another school that's you know not an in-state rivalry or not one of their league rivalries that is really going to be hard to compete against. So, you know, on the nights when it just seems like the stars align, if we execute and we have a and we have a good promotion going, or you know, and the team has been playing well and they're on a five-game winning streak or whatever, and we can promote that, I'd, I'd like to think that we're not in town to, to steal fans away from other teams. In fact, we're just part of the ecosystem that fits right in. And what we're trying to get people to understand is that, Hey, the kids that are going to be playing for us or against us are the players that are going to be playing eventually for St. Cloud state or Duluth or Bemidji or the Gophers or Mankato or North Dakota, you know, these teams that are surrounded by us that, that, fans might be tracking or following, you know, local Minnesotans going to some of these very same players are going to be playing on our team or on the teams we're playing against. And if people start to recognize that we're part of the food chain, um, hopefully they'll come and support us. So here's a, a thought. Um, it's a little bit from a, from a fan experience perspective, you almost have to follow kind of a, a St. Paul saints, attitude where winning and losing might necessarily be the main name of the game it might be how do we make this the most entertaining two hours of the week that they're going to have yeah that's certainly been brought up um and specifically (laughs) a friend of mine was like yeah you got to be the saint paul saints of of the north american hockey league um and and there's some truth to that but i i think you know having seen junior hockey um, in, in other leagues, you know, um, there's the BCHL, which is out in Western, you know, U.S. and Canada, primarily Canada, but um, around in different teams in our league even that are down in in uh, Texas and New Mexico. And we don't go play those teams yeah. um, until until playoffs. You know, we're very territorial or regional. We, we're going to play the teams in North Dakota, South Dakota. Uh, there's the Magicians in Richfield and the Wilderness in Cloquet. Um, and there's, there's a couple teams over in Wisconsin. So there's a lot of teams around here, but you know, I, I do think in some markets you can get really kind of goofy and crazy and do some silly things. I don't know how much you can do that in Minnesota. Um, to a degree, yes, you want it to be entertaining and you want there to be some fun, some fun things that, you know, are family friendly and kid friendly, but you can't go too far where you're, you know, making a mockery of, of, you know, the sport or of, of the fan base. Cause in Minnesota, they're just, you're not raised or accustomed to going to a hockey game and having it be a total carnival. No, I, that's kind of how, that's how I'm approaching. Yeah. It. I don't think that the saints are a carnival. There's just, there's, they just, they, they, when you leave there, I've left saints games and went, did I even watch a baseball game? Like there's just so many other <laughs> side shows going on during the process, but you brought something up that's interesting is what was your impression of the NAHL before you took this job, and what is your impression of it now? Does this much changed? 
Oh, I think it's changed, and and part of it has been on my end, and part of it has just been the the continuing evolution of the North American Hockey League. And so, you know, probably um, when when Brett, our oldest, was starting to be, you know, in high school and you know started playing varsity hockey as a junior, is probably when I started paying a little more attention like oh well if, if brett keeps going to the ecosystem you know, right it's it's all part of the gonna, ecosystem you got to understand it right gonna, yeah you have to understand it first of all and then i'm gonna have to introduce my son to it and you start going to these camps that the junior teams have in the in the summer months to expose your kid to what junior hockey's like and start to familiarize yourself with it so um when he was uh he's been out of high school for one year now but so going into his senior year uh north american teams were starting to scout him and talk to him and so i was becoming familiarized with their scouts and and you know talking to him about maybe tendering and and you know trying to figure out if that's a team that you know you want to tender with because once you tender with a team they own your rights and it's 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 like getting signed before the draft so that when the draft comes around, your rights are already committed to that team. And so, you know, started becoming aware of it then and talking to people and, and you're aware of the USHL and you hear a lot of, you know, blue chip players going to the USHL and, and, and it's definitely, you know, a premier junior hockey league. And then you find out about the, the BCHL and a lot of Minnesota kids have gone out to the BCHL and usually it's the Penticton. There's some kind of pipeline to Penticton. Yeah. Well, it turned turned out that Brett was, you know, getting offers from North American League teams and then he also had an offer from a BCHL team in Wenatchee, Washington. So it's the one team that's in the U.S. in the British Columbia Hockey League. So um, he ended up making that team and made the choice to go uh, to the BCHL instead of the North American Hockey League. And for him last year, uh, that was a really good experience. It was a really good junior year for him. He landed on a team that, um, and this would be advice for that any any player who's going to go play junior hockey, the parents, you know, you'll be you'll hear this because I heard it. Go where you're wanted. Go where you're loved, and go where the opportunity is to play. Unfortunately, a lot of people get caught up in the in the brand of the USHL, or they get caught up in. Um, wanting to go to a team that has a winning record, not a losing record, or, you know, and you have to filter through, you know, the, the, the bright lights or the fancy logo. And, and if your son's going to go play junior hockey, you probably want him to go to one. Number one priority is, is hopefully he's getting a lot of ice time and getting in on the play, a lot of situations and two getting good coaching because it's all about development. You want your son, you know, to, or daughter, even when they're younger, they don't play junior hockey, but you want your kids developing. And the only way they develop is one, if they're getting touches on the ice and two, if they're getting good coaching. And so, you know, for, for players that think that the North American league isn't for them, they just have to go to the USHL because it's the better league. That's not always true. The North American league has been evolving, I think for probably the last five years and is really turning out a lot of really good hockey players and and there's a certain element of them that are going and playing, you know, certain roles. We talked a little bit about it, and you might see more kids coming from the NA that are that are your 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 you know bottom six players. They're penalty killers, and they're heart and soul guys, and they're 200 foot players, and they might not be your power play guys, and they might not be your most skilled um, or elite you know skilled players, but they're gonna 
you're going to win a lot of hockey games with these guys because they've worked hard for a couple of years in the NA or maybe it's three years and they are really high character, high hardworking guys. And I'm telling you, these some of these D1 programs are winning because they're finding players in our league that fit the right mold or they fit the right role or they're, you know, they, they, they can't believe that after two or three years of busting their butt, they're going to get to play for the UMB Bulldogs or the Huskies or the Gophers or the, you know, Bemidji States or Mankato, or they go out and they, they play all over the country in any D1, you know, program or D3. D3's full of North American Hockey League players. Yeah. In fact, probably the, probably the majority of, of, you know, D3 programs, which would include, you know, St. John's and Augsburg and Hamlin and St. Thomas and, and St. Mary's and, and all the schools over in Wisconsin that are so good. Um, you know, River Falls. And so these leagues and these teams, these kids, it's it's their pathway to get to college hockey, whether it's D1 or D3. But you know what? Most of them are passing through our, our league and, and the North American League continues to become better and better um, as far as I think perception from from hockey, you know, people and hockey fans and, and hockey programs. Um, they're starting to really respect our league. So you know, it's it's been a combination of me having to educate myself because my son's coming through the ecosystem, yeah. and and then and then just the league itself has done a better job. You know, for you who doesn't have a son playing junior hockey, but I right. guess you're 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 in the business, you probably recognize like, hey, this North American Hockey League is it's pretty good, and it is. Well, one of my takeaways, I'll use a kid, I'll illustrate a kid for you, uh, is Johnny Sorensen. So Johnny's a, a St. Louis Park kid who. Speaking of my son, same deal, played uh, baseball against him and just kind of watched him throughout his youth hockey career as a kid who didn't seem, and, and here's the word I like to use about Johnny and just about a lot of these North American kids, they weren't very entitled. They didn't have that, uh, you know, four-star recruit attached to their name and signed as a 13-year-old out of high school, you know, or junior high right. kind of thing. But he made his way through, went through high school, and I and I was kind of part of his process. Someone had asked me, like, well, what do you think of this kid? I'm like, well, I think he's a star, and he'll be great once he focuses on hockey. And he goes up to uh, Alaska, plays in Alaska, and now he's playing a very important role at uh, the University of Minnesota as a 21-year-old freshman. Yeah, and... and There's going to be know, many more of those, right? Yeah, and, I, you know, I think one of the first things... It used to be perceived, and hopefully it's it's softening up a little bit. But people thought that, oh, well, how ridiculous! Go play junior hockey for three years, and what a waste! You know, it might be a waste of your time, or waste of you know, just go to school, just get into college. And and I think we're seeing it. We're a little bit people starting to recognize that, you know, what's the hurry? What's the rush? Um, it's, that's from the sort of the parental social side of it. Yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you that hockey coaches at every level, you know, D1 or D3, they want kids to play at least two years of junior. And, and sometimes they have to take them after one because the kid is, you know, maybe an elite player and he's been drafted in the NHL and he wants to, he wants to get going. But even some of those kids that have been drafted in the NHL and, you know, maybe the first and second rounders, third rounders are ready to make that jump. But, you know, if you're a sixth or seventh round NHL draft pick, even one year of junior might not be enough, but they're still going to go in. But my point is, is that, and we saw this with our own son, you know, at, at times when they're 17 years old, you're kind of like, you're kind of white knuckling it that, 
you know, my I don't know if my son's mature enough to to go off to college. And 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 I'll tell you what, these kids, as long as they're in a good environment with a junior league, you know, whether it's the USHL or or our league, the North American Hockey League, or the BCHL, or what, it's it, these these years that one or two years and sometimes three years are turning out to be really really good for these young men because they're growing up they're maturing but they also have some some sort of some guide rails you know if you're if you're part of a junior team you've got some structure in your day you got to wake up you're probably going to go work out at the gym or 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 you know do a do a yoga class or a or a you know a spin class or something whatever your team has kind of set up for you as as far as training you're going to go out and you're going to have a you're going to have a practice and then after your practice, uh, certain days, you know, I know with Brett, he had to go to, he would go to an elementary school once a week and read to um, a couple of third grade classes, I, I think. And, and other kids would go and do other community involvement. Maybe it's at a, a senior home or a retirement home, or, you know, maybe it's something at the local grocery store that the team has a, has a partnership with. You're going to bag groceries and carry them out for people. Um, you know, for an afternoon and, 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 and the, the, the billeting or, or hosting system where these players live is another area where a kid goes and lives with another family and nine times out of 10, it's, it's an amazing experience for the player and for that family. And, and we hear these stories all the time of that the kid falls in love with the family and the family falls in love with the kid and at the end of the year, it's so hard for them to leave because maybe that family has some younger kids in it and the player never had any younger siblings. Right. They were the youngest one. And all of a sudden, they're the big brother. And when they come in the house, the, the younger kids, you know, think it's the coolest thing ever. And and the, the player has never been a big brother. And now he learns how to take care of, you know, younger kids or whatever. Or they live in a different socioeconomic you know, situation, and and maybe it's a modest kid goes and gets to live with um, someone who's you know higher up in 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 the income level, and he finds out that you know what they're just as nice as as everyone else. I used to think rich people were jerks, or they have the same problems that my family has. I mean, there's so much learning and development that goes on in junior hockey that is so good for these kids. You know, they got to do their own laundry or they got to make their breakfast. And in, in Brett's case, when he woke up in the morning, him and his roommate, the, the parents were gone. They were working. And so they would have to make their own breakfast and cook their own pancakes and scramble their own eggs. And then they'd have to clean up and, and make sure the kitchen was clean before they went out the door, which is not something that he had to do his senior year in high school. So, um, so many good things about, you know, even if the, hockey doesn't work out you know i think taking that year or two years of playing junior hockey is really good for these kids it's a gap year right oh yeah it's like a gap year um but they're forced to do some things they got to do some community involvement you know they're not just sitting around you know they don't go to practice for you know one hour and then play video games the rest of the time I mean, right it that's the perception I mean, isn't it there's i think so and i mean there's trust me there's plenty of time for them to crush Netflix or, 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 or play Xbox. But, you know, if your team has enough going on and you're, and you're committed to developing them and getting them in the weight room and training and, and you can bring them back at night for a video session or whatever you want to do. Um, there's, there's, there's just ways to, to, for them to be in a structured environment yet they're away from home. 
and and they're growing up a little bit uh, at the same time. We uh, could not, if we're talking about the Norse, we, I want to dig a little deeper on Corey Millen. Um, first of all, if people don't know. Yeah, walk, he does too. He what, w- he'll be mad if I don't talk about him. Oh, we got to talk about him. Okay, so <laughs> uh, talk about, let's talk about him as a hockey player first because let's not even miss. He's probably one of, if you know, if Lauren Nelson did his homework, I guarantee he's one of the top 20. You were a top 20 high school player. Was he, he was probably top 22, wouldn't you think? Oh, I, yeah. I would have thought I mean, so, of all time in I, Minnesota high school hockey history. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And sidetracked in his young years by injury. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He was a player that didn't get to play in the state tournament because he broke his ankle the, in the in the section finals. There's a picture that um, I, I have for, for every time I have this picture in my brain of there's a, either there's a state tournament or a section final where he's on the crutches. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. 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 <laughs> he like had to, he had to come in on crutches for, oh. for his, he, he basically got his team to the tournament, but couldn't play in it. Yeah. Um, awful. And then he had knee injuries at the university, uh, twice. It's like, you know, his freshman year and then he got back and then he had another one. And no, he had an Olympic, he had two Olympics. Played in, played in the '84 Olympics. Yep. Yep. And played in the '88 Olympics. Yes. And and in between there was you know the third all-time leading scorer for the Gophers behind John Mayasich and Pat Micheletti. So, um, and that was on less games probably because of his injuries. So yeah. He was he was a absolute you know dynamo when he was when he was healthy, and uh, and on his game he was um, just a fast skilled, super competitive, you know, he's five, eight, but he was, you know, 190 pounds probably of just bulldozer in some ways. Yeah. I mean, he just, and, and could get through, you know, it's like a, it's like having a, uh, a running back or a, a fullback who's not that big, but he's, you know, low to the ground and can get through, get through the openings. And, and that was Corey. And, and, uh, like I said, super competitive, um, and fought his way through at a time when the NHL was hooking and holding and grabbing and and obstruction and everything. Um, he still found a way to when you know his points per game was pretty good, you know, better than mine. And yet he was fighting. You know, at the time it was a big man's game, and you had to be tough. And and he was considered small and skilled. And even though he was pretty tough, he wasn't gonna drop the gloves with, you know, someone that was, you know, six foot or six, two or whatever. So, um, he's, you know, in today's game, he'd be, I don't know, he'd be like Marty St. Louis, you know, yeah. he'd be like that guy, he'd be really, really, really good, really successful, um, because he could skate and handle the puck and shoot the puck and, and was competitive. So, um, he's going to be a great asset and, and <clears throat> every day we talk multiple times and we always get into these conversations with, I can't believe, you know, this advisor isn't going to send his, his, his client, who's a 17 year old kid, you know, why would he send him to that guy when I can come and play for me? Cause Corey has so much to offer and, and wants to be, you know, so much of a teacher because he has so much experience, um, at every level. You know, he and I talk about how, you know, we can help players through slumps because we've been in slumps or we can help them get to college because I'm helping my son get to college right now. And, and Corey's done it in the past with 
coaching in this league and and he knows how to build a team and and get them to be championship and playoff caliber and we have all these relationships that um with schools or nhl scouts or whatever that we can we can help and teach these kids um and and Corey's going to be right there you know day in and day out uh with the with the kids uh teaching them what he learned all you know over the years and I played on a power play with Wayne Gretzky, so you can probably share some of that with them. Yeah, I think the other thing that he brings to the table is uh, his breadth, his breadth of everything. So he's played hockey in Europe, right? So he's coached in the NA, both in Alaska and and with the Wilderness. He's he had a year as a graduate program at the University of Minnesota. He's coached in the USHL, so it's not like you can stump the coach like, Hey coach, what about this? You know, you, you'd be really hard to stump as a coach and he's seen it all too. I mean, as far as the Olympics, I mean, this guy has seen the world when it comes to hockey. And I think that worldly experience that, that Corey has will be very valuable. Like he, like he said to you, it's, it's very valuable uh, experience that he'll be able to bring to the table with a 17 to 19 year old kid. Right. And, 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 Here's the thing, as you mentioned, you know, worldly experience and, and at all different levels and, and, and recent and going back to, you know, his, his whole life. And for him, it's at the tip of his tongue. I mean, he can deliver it after a shift or after a drill in practice or in between periods. He doesn't need to, you know, he doesn't need to go look it up. Uh, uh, he doesn't need to Google it. And he doesn't need to, sometimes he doesn't even need to go back and watch the video before he's going to construct, you know, some, some teaching moment. And it's, it's between his ears. It's, it's, it's in his cranium. It's on the tip of his tongue, which is so valuable, you know, day in and day out. Again, it's, it's, um, it, 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 it's comprehensive and it, it's, uh, it adds up over the course of a week, you know, and all those practice times and drills and, and you grab a kid and pull him aside and go, hey, you know, you did that. I saw you do this. You know, try this next time. It's something I learned when I was, um, you know, forward in college or I learned this when I was in Europe. And you're right. Wealth of knowledge that he can deliver, you know, in real time. Um, it's got to be, this is the last question. It's got to be kind of a, a dream come true because you, I mean, I just know, uh, being your friends so long that you and Corey, this isn't like you just kind of texted each other and thought this. You guys have been really good friends for a long, long time, dating back to the to the mid '80s. Uh, talk about that part of this juncture in your life, getting a chance to work with Corey. Yeah, yeah, it's it is it's kind of fun. Um, so, you know, he inherited me as a roommate, kind of by default, uh, in uh, after our freshman year, our sophomore year. At the U, um, Marty Nanny and I were ready to move out of our dorm, and Corey was coming back for his fifth year because he had he had, had injuries and, and an Olympic kind of gap year, so he was coming back. And all of the guys that he had come in with had graduated, and so he was kind of looking for, he was just looking for roommates. And and he decided, we, he took me and Marty in, and then we had a fourth uh, roommate who wasn't a hockey player. And anyway, that's kind of where our friendship started. And, and then we tried out for the 88 Olympic team together and, and I got cut, but still it was like, it was another four or five months together with Corey. And then we ended up teammates again in New Jersey for one and a half seasons. 
and we were roommates then. So, um, and by that time we we were we were we had fiancés. So we were two couples living in a in a townhouse in New Jersey. Um, and then then since then, uh, yeah, we've stayed really close friends. Although he's for a long time was living in Alaska and he was coaching in Alaska, and then um, and I was down here in Minnesota. And but we always stayed in touch by phone and. We see each other when we can, and and uh, so yeah, we've got a pretty much a lifelong friendship. And then he was um, a, in interviewing for this coaching job in St. Cloud, and and I was on the phone with him, really encouraging him to go for it, and that I really thought it was a great idea. And he said, "Well, you know," he said, "they're looking for someone to run the business side of things too." And he said, "You should do that." And he said, "That would be great if we work together." He said, "Because." You know, I know you and trust you. And he said, I know you want to be in the game. And he said, I know you would pick it up really fast, you know, and, and I want to show you, you know, some coaching stuff and you should just be involved with this. And, and so we got kind of excited about it and uh, approached, you know, approached ownership. And, and here we are, you know, six weeks later, I guess, about and we're We've been on the phone every day. We've been through a supplemental draft already. We've been through some tendering of kids, and and every day he's trying to find better players, and I'm trying to um, kind of build our our marketing strategy and our sponsorship and our ticket packages and and our concession relationship and you know our beer vendors and 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 all these different things that you know we're ordering uniforms and and designing uniforms and, and all these things that, uh, a small, a, a small staff has, uh, is tasked with, but, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and we're hoping that, uh, our friendship can turn into some success here with, uh, on, on the, on the business side of things with the hockey team. I'll tell you one thing, don't change at the Mac. Don't change the French fries. It's the best French fries in the world. Uh, you can't go into that building without getting them. It's, it's, it's a, a great concession. It's, it's a great setup. It's a great setup, yeah. that building, isn't it? Well, it is. It's a, you know, I think it, once you're inside the glass for the players, it's a great sheet of ice. It's an older building. Um, in fact, the manager, is, his name's Todd, Todd Bissett. Yes. Yeah, Todd Bissett. He's, um, he's kind of our era. I think he's been, you know, he's like a la Denny May. He's been working that rink for 30 years. He is. He's kind of yeah. our generation's Denny May, isn't he? Yep, yep, yep. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. He's been there since right out of college uh, and run that rink. And, you know, it's not a new rink, but he keeps it really clean. Um, you know, it's 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 spick and span and, and it's got a low ceiling. So we don't have a big hanging, you know, scoreboard to, to work with. Um, and it's got some modest locker rooms, you know, for, for our team, but, uh, the ice is really good. Uh, like I said, the rink is kept very neat and clean. And, and as you just said, it's got a really good concessions, uh, which is important, right? You want to get if you can get good French fries at a game, you're uh, you're living large. Oh, it's going to be great! I, I can't wait to get to my first game, and hopefully, I'll be allowed in the building, not because of press, but because of the COVID thing. That's another challenge that you're going to face for sure in your first year. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a bummer because you know with sponsorships, um, I'm trying to start the the dialogue with um, companies that we'd like to partner with, and you know most of them are saying, "Well, we don't know." You know, it's been a been a rough first half of the year and we're not sure what's going to happen in the second half so we're not really starting those conversations and I've got to find a way to start the conversations and maybe frame up frame up some partnerships in theory 
uh, or, or have them structured and, and built, but, you know, not maybe, you know, not, not maybe contracted until uh, we get the green light. Well, I'm sure you're going to have a ton of fun doing this and a lot of challenges along the way, but uh, good luck to you with the, with the uh, St. Cloud Norseman. It's going to be a, an exciting thing to watch from my perspective. Yeah, it'll be a challenge, but if we can, uh, if we can, uh, if we can win a lot of games and and move this team forward and and get some people, uh, you know, kind of paying attention and supporting us, that'll be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be fun just to watch. I think the press—I don't know what it is about you and Corey, but just fell in love with you the last few weeks. It just seems like you've gotten a lot of positive press right out of the gate, which is exciting for your brand and for for your team moving forward. Yeah, well, now we gotta we, we appreciate that attention, uh, and you know it's probably it, it it's 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 something that we've earned to a certain degree. Yeah, a little bit. Now now we've got to prove it out. Well, well, good luck with that, Tom Chorsky, uh, Minneapolis native, uh, one of my good buddies growing up. Uh, thanks for being on today's show. It was a lot of fun. A little long, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's fine. They're just gonna have to suffer through it, I guess. <laughs> As part of today's show, Tom will get a gift, another gift from the Minnesotan sent to him. Thanks to him, and thanks to the Minnesotan again for their sponsor of today's show. Make sure to stop in and check it out. My good friend John King says it's the best store in the world. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you around the rink soon.